before we launch into this podcast episode, we just wanted to give a little bit of wider context because we are aware that not everybody who listens to a podcast emanating from Wales knows about things to do with the Welsh curriculum. So we want to do a little bit of glossary and a little bit of background information. And this is chiefly around the curriculum reforms which are currently taking place in Wales. Yes, that's right. And uh, just the broad brushstrokes to share with you is that this new curriculum for Wales is uh, what is known as a purpose-driven curriculum, which means that at the heart of our new curriculum sit four core purposes that should ultimately be the starting point and aspiration for schools who are then designing their, all, their, their more localised uh, response to the curriculum. But at the heart, as I said a moment ago, are these four core purposes. I'm not going to go into all four of them but the one that's going to be most pertinent to this episode is healthy confident individuals ready to lead fulfilling lives as valued members of society sitting at the kind of next here are six areas of learning and experience and they are kind of clusters of subject disciplines that sit within these six areas of learning and experience and the one that we're going to be looking at today and investigating by sort of picking the brain of Fiona Heath Diffie who heads up the programme for secondary PE at Cardiff Met for those wanting to train to be secondary PE teachers is the health and well-being area of learning and experience. So uh, to demystify that then you might hear about healthy confident individuals so that's a core feature of the incoming curriculum here in Wales. Uh, Health and well-being that is the area of learning and experience in which the subject domain of PE sits Um, and AOLE is just uh, an abbreviation of area of learning and experience but don't switch off if you're outside Wales because although we are talking about our specific curriculum this is a trend in a lot of curriculums that are coming in all over the world. this idea of having uh, core purposes or competencies at the centre and this idea of of grouping subjects together so they can make connections and kind of rethinking what our subjects are for and I'm sure no matter what subject you teach and where you are you've got the well-being of your pupils at heart and maybe you want to think more deeply about your subject so hopefully some nuggets of discussion within this episode will still be relevant to you. Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 12, Health and Wellbeing in the Curriculum, with Fiona Heath-Diffie. Hello everyone, welcome back to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. I am pleased to say that we have got an old friend of the podcast, someone who has been on in the past... Fee, welcome. Fee Heath Diffie, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Good, thank you. It's always nice when they come back, isn't it? <laughs> I had such a good time last time. It is. It is. Now, Fiona um, joined us, I want to say, a season ago. Tom, correct me if I... It might have been Goodness two me. seasons First ago. Year, but all the way back. Yeah. First season, yeah. <gasps> it was. Mm. Gosh, back when we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> yep, as opposed um, to now when we have no idea what we're doing. 
Yes, that's very true. So, um, Fee, you came on and you gave us a cracking episode um, on your research into uh, physical literacy. And it was at a time when the new curriculum reforms, and in particular the health and wellbeing area of learning and experience, was still kind of being cooked up. It wasn't ready in draft form by that time. So a lot has happened since then. So I guess first things first, talk to us about just briefly the health and well-being area of learning and experience and how that has moved us forward from what we currently have which is the 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 national curriculum PE subject orders. Wow well we have quite a different look now along with a different name for what PE teachers are currently starting to look I say currently starting obviously they've been playing with it for over a year now but we have we have a structure now that has moved, as many subjects have found, quite far away from what their old curriculum orders were. And obviously with the... I don't like using the word rebranding because I, I don't know if we really are rebranding. There's a real, there's a, there's a much deeper conversation underneath that. But with a sort of a certainly a different sort of slant of health and well-being, bringing many aspects of what was going on in a, in, in a curriculum across different areas of the school together under this title of health and wellbeing, AOLE, also supported by one of the four core purposes, because obviously one of them is healthy, confident individuals. And um, many would argue anecdotally and both within literature that you you can't have children to academically learn if they're not healthy, confident and ready to learn. And... That, that becomes really critically important in a sense that health and well-being is everybody's business. So you have a whole school agenda on health and well-being and then you have more drilled down sort of specific focuses that then sit within the remit of what health and well-being or the health and well-being AOLE asks for, which is most currently being driven by the P departments. And speaking from a point of complete ignorance, I apologise, Fee, on that front, because I've been trying to make sense of my own AOLE and I haven't really kind of delved into the other five areas of learning and experience in as much detail. So the health and wellbeing AOLE, does it name individual subjects within that and my point there is you know where is PE in all of this and for a student teacher who's coming to you wanting to train as PE teacher is there is there a bit of um, careful messaging that you need to give to them around their position as a subject within health and well-being AOLE oh that's a big question um it sits immersed in all of it so you've, you've hit across a really important point. Health and well-being is one of only two AOLEs that exists of one, one previous subject in the sense that it's PE with an amalgamation of what was a lot of the PSE content that we originally saw in the previous curriculum. So much like maths departments are now maths and numeracy, but they have no other subjects with them, PE primarily sits within the health and well-being AOLE. What that means for PE teachers is is an interesting question because then we move into the space about identity and uh, and what they they see themselves to be. Both student teachers coming into the profession and obviously existing colleagues currently in the profession, and that that then has 
a big implication on curriculum design and decisions that are then made as to what their curriculums can look like at a local level when when starting to put their curriculums together. It does ask for a, a lot more than what typically the traditional PE teacher has taught and has been trained to teach. And there is definitely a huge upskilling requirement there. But interestingly, what we're starting to see in some, not all schools, are departments that are rebranding as health and wellbeing faculties and some that are not and some are still very much PE departments and then a mix of other subject areas contributing. So, for example, I can draw on, on a couple where the the health and well-being department are also doing some cooking. That's not to say that they are teaching the, the, the food technology element of a traditional design technology subject um, and the food sort of the food technology in that respect, because that is a very discrete set of knowledge. But what they are doing is linking to diet and nutrition and the elements of the that that comes through in the what matters statements in addition to teaching PE they are taking their classrooms on rotation to the cooking labs and they are making food and exploring nutritional values of food and applying that back into what that means from a practical point of view and and things like that so I, I know a handful of schools that are doing that where the teacher the PE teacher themselves are the one cooking um, obviously, that, that brings up lots of interesting questions about knowing how to do that safely, organising that classroom, the use of that kind of equipment and timing and things like that. Then there are other schools where that still is happening, but the students are going as part of their health and wellbeing PE lessons to the cooking department to do that with the cooking staff. So it, it's happening in in both ways. And then there are lots of departments who have not taken that track at all yet and are, are talking about diet and nutrition, but not applying it practically. So it'll be a classroom-based discussion or a practical-based part of a practical discussion. Yeah, so it's, it's, re- it's really interesting because you then, you then get a lot of other sort of examples of where some, some departments have sort of increased in size and number and sort of said, well, actually, we've now got a much be- bigger remit on what we're teaching. So they've recruited more staff and, and they've got more hours on the timetable and they've been able to say, well, actually, across a two-week timetable, there's now five, six, maybe seven lessons of which three or four are practical and two are classroom so that they might name them different things. So the P lesson versus the health and well-being lesson, if their health and well-being, they're in the classroom, if they're doing P, they're practical, although there is a, a syllabus that crosses over units of work that, that stretch across both both of those sessions across a, across a term. And then you get some departments who are still very traditionally teaching maybe what P was in a sense of sports and activities and just teaching them in discrete isolation who are still grappling with the idea of what the health and well-being side of it could look like and then there are departments who contacted me saying their hours have been slashed and taken away because they've now got to do health and well-being which is in the classroom which is still being taught by a range of staff in a more traditional PSE sense and to allow that to happen they've lost practical time so there's a real range from from what we're hearing in schools going on at the moment and in and amongst that is that complicated conversation over what is it we do who are we what is our identity now from that traditional sports teacher into a more holistic health and well-being teacher and what does that mean 
one of the things that came up in our last chat, the one about physical literacy, which really struck me was that parallel between sports and PE, I guess, and the kind of arts world, which is that tension between providing that kind of, you know, lifelong healthy relationship with it to everybody and that kind of wish to provide for those occasional really, really kind of elite kids I suppose and the tension slightly I suppose comes from the fact that those people who've ended up teaching it have often kind of gone a really long way with the subject so kind of somewhere in there is is a sort of fellow feeling I suppose for those those pupils who are really living and breathing the subject is there worry in in the sort of health and well-being rebranded PE world about what you do when that sort of once or twice in a career really amazing pupil comes along? Because I know we occasionally hear that conversation in the expressive arts world. Well, what if I want have a pupil who's going to go all the way to, you know, the Royal Academy of Music or RADA or something like that? Obviously, we can't kind of throw everything aside for that very small number of pupils. And it might be kind of said that, sometimes it was weighted a little bit far the other way but what happens if that that next England football captain or Wales rugby captain whatever comes along do, do you do you sense worry about that from colleagues in school it's definitely worry there's definitely that feeling that how if I'm teaching to the masses how am I then providing that elite opportunity or that sort of excelling opportunity but then there's also the counter argument to say that actually those children will nine times out of ten succeed anyway with a combination of what they get from school and then the connections into community sports coaching elite coaching programs Um, if they're that good in school already they're probably already on that pathway or that they have been sometimes they're identified they're a pure talent that have had no exposure and are in their P lessons and it's the teacher that identifies them which is is the case in a small percentage and it's the teacher's work there that then connects that child into the love of that activity that might then find them roots into coaching and, and stuff outside of the school environment because ultimately we have to you have to remember what what are we trying to achieve out of physical education if we go back to our, our sort of title and it is this idea that you're educating the body through the physical and that every child, you want every child. If you ask any teacher, they will all tell you they want all their children to be active, to have a love of being active. It's just unfortunate in, in recent decades that a majority of the experiences on the table in a school environment have been very competitively sport driven. And that often maybe hasn't been wide enough to engage a wider base of children. But that doesn't mean that part of the offer that we still look at shouldn't include team sports and sport. That is a big misconception right now that health and well-being is going to or has the potential if not really looked at properly to dilute that potential. And it becomes very holistic and very individualised and and those opportunities still need to be there. And this is where that conversation needs to happen at a department level to what the, the department ethos is, what the school ethos is, what type of activities their children like to do and engage with to help create that offer, not driven by what the sporting excellence in the department is. So they tend to fall into delivering those traditional sporting areas. And that can be a really difficult conversation, but competition still needs to be part of what we deliver and is still 
referenced, although not explicitly, through the health and well-being, because healthy, confident individuals, life's competitive. So to be confident in what you do, then actually confidence and, and being competitive and being able to have resilience, while there are other spaces across our curriculum that can develop that in different ways, there is an opportunity within the physical to also develop that. And there is an opportunity to discuss it and unpick it both at physical and classroom-based level when you link into mental health and well-being and the balance of that. So it, the, the, the real opportunity comes in how do we start connecting those conversations explicitly rather than just seeing the role as being sport-driven. So I think I think the the concern is certainly there and and there is certainly a big concern with the lack of mention of being physically active across the AOLE. It is considering it is being driven by this idea of physical actually when you read the balance of it it, it isn't an equal split. There is a huge amount of focus on mental health and well-being um, that could be read in that way and interpreted in that way. But then comes down to the time and space teachers have to and the support teachers have to be able to unpick what that might look like across sort of thematic units of work, across reorganizing reorganizing it's not even a word, <laughs> reorganizing delivery and content. And and some of that then is driven by the hours they are given based on the way schools are reorganizing opportunities it sounds huge actually i mean when we came into this conversation i was sort of perhaps complacently thinking oh health and well-being aoli it's just a you know a rebrand of pe and the question is kind of how superficial or how substantial is that rebrand in reality but you're talking to me about cookery mental health i mean you know what was pse and all of that i mean this this aoli could have a cast of thousands in it i mean is, is there a sense that this thing is kind of manageable <laughs> Um, oh, that's a huge question. And <laughs> Possibly I think, controversial question. controversial. <laughs> I think I think it offers what we've always always known. I think in the in within the PE profession is what we can offer. I think PE has often been looked at, and, and I know not everyone will agree with me on this, but I think I think very often as a subject area, it's been looked at as almost a second class citizen. Like, oh, it's just getting the kids active. They just have to go and run around, expel a bit of energy. It's all about sport. Give them a ball, let them kick a ball. And on one level, as we've known in lockdown, being active is is simply as simple as that. Get out and do. But you can't learn to read a book without learning how to structurally read before you then enjoy the pleasures of reading for pleasure. So actually being active while we're born to move and it's something from a child development point of view we do out of instinct before we acquire many other things like language and comprehension. Actually, you then have to develop those opportunities and place different physical environments in front of children at different stages of development, much as you you can place different activities in front of children to find out what they like, what engages them, how they want to be active, different ways they can be active. Actually, how far can they physically push their body? How important is good health and well-being, physical, mental well-being, both of those parts, in order to have a happy, healthy, fulfilling lifestyle and and functioning (laughs) and and surviving life? And, And like I've said before, I think I said it in the previous one a couple of years ago, you can have all the academic accolades in the world and the best job in the world, but you could die at 40 if you haven't taken care of your body. 
So there's a functional health element there. And there's this sort of in holistic embodied health understanding and being able to pull together actually how intricate mental and physical health is and teaching it collectively and not separating and teaching it physically and then in the classroom socially and actually trying to find those connections across. And for some children, it is that elite pathway in sport and being uber competitive and are driven by that desire to be better. And for other children, it's simply enjoying playing with their friends, recreationally going for walks, going for swims, going for a cycle ride. But they have to learn how to ride a bike. They have to learn how to swim. They have to just learn how to cooperatively play without any great skill level to enjoy that. So there are always lessons and learning taking place. So then it comes back to how we're delivering the pedagogies that then underpin how we deliver, not only what we deliver. That's fascinating, Fee, because I mean, what I'm hearing here as well is that in order to, in order to substantiate some of the aspects of um, health and well-being and and being physically active that maybe we take for granted our pupils will know by by ensuring they've got that kind of understanding that sits underneath it so for example I can think from my own subject perspective we do a lot of kind of physically active things in drama and I might sort of incidentally say or look at what this is doing you know this is getting our cardiovascular system working but you know my confidence in that area is not very good but if the students have that knowledge and understanding Mm. of what's going on kind of physiologically then it adds kind of some kind of weight to our arguments about the um, sort of more peripheral aspects that our subjects um, touch upon it kind of maybe gives gives them so that I, I get really annoyed when people talk about drama and say oh yeah and it does this and does that and it's and it's like, well, yeah, it does, but we don't explicitly teach it. We wouldn't say that, you know, we are we are replacing PE. So mm. um, I, I just find it fascinating that you're talking about, you know, really getting our pupils to understand that when they're doing things that aren't sort of traditionally within the PE curriculum, but are helping to, the, you know, make them healthy and well, they have got some kind of knowledge underpinning it too. Mm. No, definitely. And I, I think there are points that you've raised. That I would say also from a peer point of view, there are things that we would say we do, but we don't explicitly teach. But it happens through what we do that could be developed in a more robust way in other subject areas. But we use in those moments in, in PE lessons. So, yeah, there's and I think that's where if we look at curriculum design as we move forward. I think that's where schools who can bring AOLE conversations together so AOLEs aren't in their own silos so don't be wrong obviously at a starting point you have to design within your AOLE you have to make sense of it first but not to leave that in a silo too long to be able to actually say where are those cross-curricular conversations where are those links that can be made not necessarily just explicit links in a teaching sense, but though so colleagues know what they're delivering and know where those subtle connections can be made to say, well, this is actually something you're going to need when you're in drama, or this might be something, this might be a skill you might need in a history lesson or a science lesson because of X, Y, and Z. So they, they start to see those conversations. I think that's always been there as part of the curriculum. 
It's just we've never really explored it. And, and maybe we're being asked to see it in a different way now because of the way the AOLEs are connecting with their cross potential. And now you're really talking about functional holistic education that does more than just give a child a GCSE at the end of the at the end of the time they've been in school. Talking of uh, GCSEs, this might be a little bit of a controversial <laughs> I know one. Go Swerve this one if you like, but we we know thinking about secondary now, um, we're hearing anecdotally from from multiple quarters that there's a reluctance in some quarters to make any major decisions until people know what's going on in terms of those qualifications those all important qualifications are sort of 16 and 18 and I suppose this is partially a mental note to us Emma to to get qualifications Wales on here and have a little bit of a chat with them but you know there's PE qualifications qualifications offered in PE departments at the moment that are enormously popular in a lot of schools you've got that very kind of very sort of quite academic biology heavy PE suite of uh, sort of GCSE and A-level type qualifications. You've got the BTEC kind of sports sort of vocational qualifications. Now that we're talking about this much more kind of holistic and widened view of health and well-being, what would your kind of, what would your dream outcome be in terms of the sort of qualifications that, that a faculty of health and well-being might be working towards? Oh, that is a big question. And a really difficult one to answer it, it's going to have to encompass some element of the health and well-being AOLE so there, there will be a change whether it is a GCSE if we still have GCSEs as a title in health and well-being or whether there are options of a health and well-being and a more traditional P coaching type route which obviously the GCSE right now is very heavily based on performance coaching and then the sort of biology and physiology and psychology of being active and, and, and team sports and things like that. So it's a massive question. We were discussing this in our uh, our lecture on Friday, actually, with some of our students because we've just started to sort of look at curriculum design and, and, and ideas like that. And we're saying it's, it's a really big ask for the profession at the moment to say, don't worry about the assessments, kind of park it, try and work out what you want the content to be with the end point of children just being active and having had that really positive experience with you and what that could look like. And then we will build the assessment layer in once we know what it is we have to look for. Because we know with curriculum design, you can't design the assessment first because all you end up then doing is teaching to the assessment. And we know from every bit of literature that is the wrong way around to do curriculum reform and curriculum design. But when your 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 sort of performance outcome and, and Estin and the heads and all those other people that make judgments on you are driven by what it might look like at the end of year 10 and 11, not how many kids are healthier, happier, have got to the end of that time with you and are going to are, are well balanced healthy confident individuals that are able to contribute to society and feel confident and creative and are, are happy in in that respect then it's a really difficult question we one of our students actually asked us if, if they thought we would end up in more of a international baccalaureate style examination and not have any GCSEs at all and I said well who knows it's one of the options being looked at I'm sure in context of having the the Welsh baccalaureate as sort of a, a smaller version of that so 
it's it's a huge question and I think once we have some ideas and some steering from the assessment conversations that will groups that are happening that will probably then have some bearing on the curriculum design my hope is that it wouldn't then steer what good work might have taken place in a a direction of trying to teach something though they have an assessment but then you could also argue are there I guess you could argue for any any AOLE but maybe more so with health and well-being and, and PE because everyone needs it it is holistically regardless whether you go on to want to study GCSE A level be a PE teacher be a physio or the professions that might come through this route everyone needs that experience so whether there are multiple pathways where there is that generic tracking of a health and well-being profile that might end up with something at the end of it and then a route for those who specifically want to drill down into more of that content driven stuff that you might then see at an examination level which I suppose would directly link to some element of core and GCSE that you have now but in a much better way than what core is right now then yeah that that's a that's a big big conversation to come that'll be in the uh, series four or five i think <laughs> yeah so potentially something for everyone really in 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 that aole potentially a qualification for everyone to take i mean we we attended a, a talk by qualifications wales quite a while ago now in which they said they were leaning towards sticking with gcse's because everybody's heard of gcse's and because the original specification for gcse's kind of back in the 80s included a lot more kind of flexibility in terms of assessment design that nobody had ever bothered to use and it was all still sitting there in the specification and so they're kind of their leaning was towards that but I mean as you say that we could potentially be looking at something where perhaps there'd, there'd be something for everyone in a qualification in health and well-being. Mm. And I think when you bring the PSE element into it obviously that historically has just been underpinning sort of that hidden curriculum underpinning everything you do type of thing obviously it's now explicitly named in an AOLE and whoever's teaching it um because there are say there are examples of schools where they're currently still got that very distinct P department and then the PSE is being still taught in form time or drop down days uh, and that will be interesting because then you have to interpret how does that then have an effect on potential qualifications much as the department who is the completely holistic health and well-being department who are sending job adverts out for a teacher of health and well-being and 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 i'm asking questions going well actually what do you mean by that what do you want from that because um, am i and then i have to ask questions of myself from a training point of view am i currently training our students to be teachers of health and well-being am i certainly teaching them to be teachers of pe what is what are those things because they are changing and we're in a very transient point of what that is. Are we teachers of physical health education? That's another term that's coming in. That's very popular. Australian curriculum has, has, has driven that a lot more than anywhere else. But this idea of physical health educators, where as health and well-being is a very big concept. It, it encompasses so much. I was going to say, we're not all supposed to be teachers of health and well-being no. on one level. But, uh, yes. you know, but on the other level... You know, you've got PE teachers there going, well, is that me? Is that not me? I mean, me? <laughs> for, for me at this moment in time, uh, where I'm most comfortable is t- is probably to say, I am developing teachers at this current group and, and, and probably years to come immediately are physical health educators. We we are looking at that curriculum and we are unpicking that curriculum and we are, are, are working out what we need to develop in a sense of professional development 
because there are elements of it that we we are not teaching and that we are weak in and that we need to do more in um and where that balance lies with that traditional idea of the activities i think it's very clear we're moving away from teaching a sport for a sport's sake and that the sport itself or the activity becomes a carrier to lots of other opportunities to learning and that we have to get a much wider base of models of practice in being delivered. So it isn't this very traditional idea of we teach PE by having a warm up, a drill that breaks down a skill and then applying that into a game. That's a very traditional coaching model. So we have to move. I think I would argue we have to move away from that. And I know we spend a lot of time with our students now exploring um problem-based learning the sport education model the teaching games for understanding model um the um the different teaching styles that we see in moston and ashworth's teaching style spectrum and the application of that and what that means for how you might use a guided discovery um, mode of teaching in certain episodes in a lesson or how you might set up a lesson so it's very learner initiated rather than didactically taught by you but there might be a really important moment where you have to be didactic at the start to set that up and how you have that balance of of teaching styles that come in so there's a lot of very good pedagogy there for us to draw from the the challenge is to get it into the teaching profession and being talked about and delivered comfortably and that is a very long journey that is something that is not going to change in a couple of years time but alongside a, a, a AOLE that's asking for a broader experience can be very useful but ensuring at the same time, the one thing I think all of us would, all, all physical health educators would argue for at this point in time is we can't lose being active. And there is a real danger and a real fear among the profession right now that we will lose activity time for classroom-based discussion time. And that that cannot happen. We, we know we know from a societal point of view how problematic not moving is and how inactive our children are anyway and for some children their PE lessons are their only time they are active in a way that actually has a health benefit so however we do this there is a really strong voice from the PE profession that we must maintain that ability to be active now, I can look across that AOLE and see multiple opportunities across all the What Matters statements to develop that in a physical way. But if you're reading it with other lenses on, you could see the potential to go, oh, oh that two thirds of that is classroom and this bit seems more practical to me. Or, or schools going, well, actually, we don't have the time to give you as many lessons. Because again, the interesting argument, some schools and departments have managed to successfully argue that there are six AOLEs, so you must divide the time for the curriculum equally amongst the six. In which case, because PE is now health and well-being and there is so much more in that content, uh, and you have examples of departments who are now 12, 15 members of staff because of that growth and expenditure of that. And then you have other examples where they're being asked to deliver what is a massively greater range of things as under the AOLE but being given less time to do it in and you then that's a really difficult place to be in for many colleagues because their hands are tied absolutely and it strikes me that 
because of that problem that you've just and that danger that you've just articulated, it becomes even more important for us within ITE to help support our student teachers in being able to a unpick the who are we what are we for why this aspect in the curriculum why this aspect outside of the curriculum to avoid some of those really reductive and kind of binary arguments that health and well-being will be in the classroom sat down and PE aspects will be outdoors you know exploring physically it's the it's the subject experts that we are developing but also the curriculum experts and design experts that we're also trying to kind of foster so that uh, Welsh Government were great actually they put out a document back in October of 2020 that talks about some principles for curriculum design that should help to kind of fight some of these issues and they they, they talk about avoiding retrofitting current content of their curriculum to meet the demands for the new curriculum getting um, teachers to be um, kind of have the time and space to to talk about epistemic knowledge that supports the system to make better decisions about what should be learned what shouldn't so it's really great to hear you talking about having these debates with your student teachers as you know myself and Tom are now that has really transformed actually what we do in ITE because now we are saying to student teachers you you have a voice in this and we need Mm -hmm. to teach you how to use it absolutely and that idea of trying to fit in what they've done in the past into the new curriculum is possibly the worst outcome because it's such a different curriculum. So they will they will only fall into traps by doing that. But we know from all of the, the pioneer work and all of the project work that's been going on with the various different groups of schools that time and space is critical for that. Uh, and on some level, our students have that ability to have time and space to think and for us to discuss and for them to apply the the challenges for our colleagues in the profession who maybe are not always afforded the same time and space but have to somehow produce this product that that will be a real a real challenge but I think you're very right in saying actually the ITE groups coming in have a really big part to play in this and have a a, maybe a unique or different perspective or have a, a a different opportunity to bring to departments when they enter them in those first couple of years that could be really really healthy and I think a, a, a colleague of mine um, talks very much about or well, Dave Aldous, Dr Dave Aldous who I know you'll be talking to soon talks very much in curriculum design by the fact that the curriculum is not actually a curriculum it's got curriculum in its title but actually it's a set of design principles it's a set of ideas and it's what the schools design at their level that is actually the curriculum because it's not actually giving it's not curriculum guidance it's a set of principles and ideas which you have to interpret in context of your school and your school needs and and the curriculum you then put in place for them so he and I, I can see where he's coming from in that. There's actually t- there's two different things going on there, isn't it? And um, I think when you start talking about this idea that it's principles and ideas and guidance that you have to interpret, that is brilliant and scary at the same time, because that requires thinking and that requires curriculum design skill and knowledge, which as a profession, we haven't been asked for for so long because our traditional curriculum orders were structural and given to us and here is what you teach and here the text you teach and this is the outcome you have to reach and 
this is what you have to do off you go whereas now we have it's a much bigger conversation isn't it about actually how do you design a curriculum how do you unpick that and then when you put that sort of specific layer on in context of health and well-being and saying well you have to design a curriculum but first you have to look at what you value and how how you interpret what you value and what your identity is as to how you teach that because if you don't buy into that identity or your identity is at direct conflict with some of the things that curriculum is asking you to do but you've somehow got to design that, that's a really difficult space to be in. And that will require time and space for teachers, departments, to staff to work through, notwithstanding this idea of playing around with it, liking some bits, not liking others, getting rid of some bits and and developing something over a period of time that gets to be in a position where it's working, but it will always be a moving beast. It's never going to be a finished product. It's, It's always going to be developing tweaking changing refining because of because of the nature of what the orders are and there's no right right or wrong answer absolutely and i think that's a nice place to kind of pause our our curriculum conversation at this stage um and 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 you're absolutely right just to finish that bit off it it does say again in in this document that came out in october that we should not be viewing the curriculum making as a once and done event so, Fee, I guess that, that means that we're going to have to have you back because we need to carry on this conversation. <laughs> Lucky um, you. Def- definitely. <laughs> but we're going to move on now to um, our short slots. And I know that yeah. you've prepared um, some ideas for us. And I thought we might start, since we've been talking about health and well-being, with um, your latest health and well-being tip, given that, um, you know, we are well and truly quite far into this COVID situation now. So just wondering at the moment how you're looking after your well-being interesting isn't it having to work from home for such a long period of time and then having smaller amounts of in context of in being on site work but I for me I think it was finding the time to actually have space to be active and that wasn't necessarily just training or going to play stuff because that wasn't necessarily allowed in the same way anymore but actually when you're at home it's very easy to have to do your work and then you have the housework and you have this and you have that and you all of a sudden your day is taken up in many different ways and I think my my sort of well-being tip was to actually sort of block out time in the day to go right we're going for a walk here as a family I, I have a young young daughter at home so it was very much like let's go and learn how to ride a bike she learned how to ride her bike in lockdown or I'd say balance bike but I mean it was it was finding deliberate moments of time to actually switch off and prioritize those moments because being active is is different things for different people. So that could be for some people going for a run. That could be doing the the Joe Wick stuff in the morning, but also still going out because obviously that doesn't take you out to the house. So you were allowed to go out the house obviously originally was once, wasn't it? But just finding time now to actually have time for for you because I think when you work from home, I think it's much harder to switch off. You don't have that distinction of being in an office and coming home or or driving home and de- thinking about stuff while you drive home so you can park it and then you're in the house. And I think those lines become, become blurred very quickly. So it's, it's about finding deliberate moments where everything else stops, whether it's for you because you live on your own or you live with a family and you have kids or you don't have kids, whatever that, that scenario is for you, is finding, finding those moments for yourself. And uh, in terms of something interesting that you've read or watched or listened to, what would you like to put in the direction of our listeners? Um, yeah. Well, um, 
I got to say, once I, by the time I get in and get a child to bed and a dog walked and uh, family fed and stuff like that, there's not a huge amount of time left in the day. But I have to say, I've been in watching The Crown recently. That's fine. It doesn't have <laughs> to be I've super academic. Let's just to, to really give some context. We are recording this in mid-December. We're all worn out. <laughs> we need something. We do not want an academic journal at this point. Fee, go for no. it. No, <laughs> watching watching The Crown and um, teaching my my little girl Christmas carols for the first time because she's suddenly found the joy of Christmas carols, and so she's only three. So it's just that right starting point of it being exciting. But yeah, I've I've been um, very much getting into this newest episode of The Crown, and I do I do like my history, and I do like understanding the reality of what that means for for maybe royals, royals and non-royalists now. I thought, and actually, in, in, in there was an episode recently that really I really we were discussing it actually with my my in-laws at the weekend, um, who we're bubbling with, and it was really interesting because it was that episode where the member of the public broke into the queen's bedroom he managed to do it twice before before well i say getting caught he he walked out the door with the police and it was interesting he sat there and one of the things that resonated with me he kept saying that people keep telling me bear in mind this was obviously at the height of all the strikes and all the the, the work and, and stuff with the reforms from the the thatcher administration and he was saying people keep telling me i have mental health issues and I, i'm struggling because i have mental health issues He's like, I don't have mental health issues. I'm just poor. I just need someone to help me. And I just thought that would just really struck me that sort of balance and dichotomy between what, what is created out of a situation and what a situation creates. And that sort of, that fine line between between those things. Yeah, really um, interesting. You also know you're getting old when uh, something that, that sort of happened during your lifetime is coming back around as history. That's yes. not a good, <laughs> good sign, is it? Thank you for saying that, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's been a lot of controversy around the crown as well hasn't there because uh there's there's been talk of them wanting to put a disclaimer out at the start about it being a dramatization and you know people getting the wrong idea of facts and the uh the creators of the crown saying no we've always maintained that it's a dramatization and that it kind of treads the line or blurs the line between fact and fiction and yeah so it's uh it's pretty cool and I'm, I'm enjoying it too and, and and i totally agree with you fee that line really struck me as well and it got me thinking about a lot of the stuff that we say and do in education about narrowing the poverty gap and what what we're what we're advocating from a point from a position of privilege and 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 whether we truly understand the the challenges that our young people face and their families who are who are living um through those circumstances and, and in those circumstances so thank you for bringing that um to us we we've got something that all of us um we're all grappling with at the moment which is teaching online and our, our something to try this week um, is something that perhaps will also strike a chord with our, our student teachers who who might be doing a bit of a mix at the moment um, or any teachers out there um, who are doing some aspects of, of blended delivery so they're doing some face-to-face some online We've been teaching a lot um, of our online content on Teams and we've been really mindful of of trying to use this platform to encourage a broader range of our student teachers to engage and share their views and be actively participating in our synchronous sessions, the sessions that we're doing in real time. 
And it struck us as we've been doing this that um, it's really great because in one sense, the student teachers have got two options in that forum. They can unmute themselves and contribute verbally, or they've got the opportunity to put their contribution in the chat. But it's thrown up a few additional kind of challenges, hasn't it, Tom, that uh, we've got some ideas on to help you out if you're experiencing the same issues? Yes. I mean, actually, I'm just thinking now we often have to say to people who are new to teaching, you know, don't forget the thinking time. When you ask a question, there's it's a kind of famous thing, isn't it, that loads of teachers just sort of jump in and answer their own question very quickly because they don't like that kind of awkward silence after they've asked a question. So it's important to bear in mind that if if people are contributing to your discussion in the chat, you need to add thinking time and typing time. And, and the result of that, particularly from our point of view when we're teaching on Teams, is that you throw a question out into the void and there is just this enormous kind of expanse of nothing for sometimes a good couple of minutes. And you, you just wonder whether everybody's logged off and gone for a cuppa and left themselves in the participant list just to kind of lull you into believing you're still teaching them. But usually they're typing something really kind of good and interesting and of course doing that takes time so rather than have that enormous gap one of the things we've started doing sometimes particularly if we know it's a it's a knotty question is we will we'll give everybody fair warning we're about to pose this knotty question and we kind of give them a preview of it and suggest that they start typing their response while we're still kind of doing something else but that they don't post it yet so they've got all these amazing responses ready crafted and can just kind of ping them off into the chat window just with a single click which just kind of keeps the pace of things going a bit more and helps with our confidence I guess as teachers because nobody likes to be sitting there in an awkward silence do they? And I suppose a tip on the other side of that is that then the group needs time to read and consider those responses. So it's it's just, a, as Tom says, it's a change of the pace. And when we're, when we're um, planning those sessions to factor in that important time to craft the answer and to, to analyse and, and reflect on what people have put. So there we have it, uh, the end of another episode. Thank you very much to Fiona Heath Diffie for coming in and speaking to us again. It's As I said, it's always nice when people come back for more. Um, and Emma down the line, so apologies for a few little robotic glitches here and there. We're only allowed two people in, in an office at the moment. And Emma very, very kindly gave up her seat so that uh, Fiona could come in and be here in person. We will be back uh, with something else in a couple of weeks' time. But thank you for listening to this one. I hope everybody's well and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Brees. The special guest this episode was Fiona Heath-Diffie, who's the programme leader for PGCE Secondary PE here at Cardiff Metropolitan University. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. <laughs>